2: And now they're accusing God of bringing bringing him into the wilderness to kill him there. And then they said, there's no bread, there's no water. That wasn't true, that wasn't true. That bread, that manna was miraculous and it fell faithfully every day from the sky. Who's ever seen a bakery in the sky? (laughs) And there was not one day missed of that manna Even Joyce couldn't make enough manna to feed all those people for 40 years every day, for 40 years until they entered the land and they kept that Passover, that historic Passover, and when they came to the plains of Jericho and they ate the old corn that was still there on the stalks, And the next day, the manna stopped to the day in Joshua 5:10, Joshua 5:10, the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal, kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at the even in the plains of Jericho, and they did eat of the old corn in the land on the morrow after the Passover unleavened cakes and parched corn in the self same day, and the manna ceased on the morrow morrow after they had eaten the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. That's amazing. For 40 years, every single day, except on the Sabbath, but the day before, twice as much. Every single day, God gave them this manna. And to the day when they found the old corn on the stalks and ate that, it stopped just like that. Didn't dwindle down. It stopped. What was God doing? He was taking care of them every day with that bread, that manna bread until that time. It shows how God was watching carefully over them and giving them food every day. Water, he made water to come out of rocks for them. How many has ever seen a water come out of a rock? But that's what happened, not a trickle, a huge gush of water to fill millions of people, fill, you know, take the thirst to it. There's millions of people drank from that. As it says in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 9.15, Nehemiah 9.15. Thou gave us them bread from heaven for their hunger. As I said, where's the bakery? You ever saw it? He thou gave us them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought us forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst. In other places, Scripture says it was a rock of flint, just in case you might think it was a soft rock. <laughs> and, and what happened? What's going on here? They ignored. They ignored. This is the sin of ignoring they ignored what God did for them. They ignored the bread. They ignored the water that God provided to them. And instead, they said, God hasn't given us anything. God hasn't given us bread. God hasn't given us water. And when we see them here ignoring what God did for them, then all the more we value that hymn, count your blessings. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. It'll surprise you what the Lord has done. And when we're thinking of what we don't have, you know, that's the time to count our blessings and to name them one by one. What a difference it would have made for them instead of complaining if they would just, well, now, wait a minute. Before we start this complaining, why don't we sit down here and just start listing out what God has done for us, how he's protected us in this desert, how he's kept the enemy away, how we're not, at this point, they're not bitten by all those well, they say serpents. In other places, it talks about scorpions. How our shoes haven't worn out for 40 years? How about that? But in one breath, in verse nine, they say, no bread, no water. And then they say this in one breath. They say in verse five, there's no bread. And then in the next breath, they say, there is bread, it's light bread. But our soul loathes this light bread. Ah. They despised manna. They called it light bread. And then... Manna was a miraculous food. What was it in that manna that that manna that sustained them and gave them all the necessary nutrients that they needed? What was there in there? Was it some kind of yogurt bread or something? I don't know. I mean, I've never heard of a food like that, a bread like that. That's a, You eat that and that's all you can eat. That's all you need for 40 years and it sustains you. It was miraculous, but it, it didn't taste, I don't know, you get used to it, but in Numbers 11.4, Numbers 11.4, it says there, Numbers 11.4, the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? Where's the meat? We remember the fish, they said, which we did eat in Egypt freely. And now they give a, like a shopping list. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, how many people here like leeks? I like leeks. They're interesting, aren't they? Leek. The onions, the garlic. How many people here like garlic? Most of you like garlic, yeah. You know they they were they were thinking, oh, we haven't had garlic in so long. Others said it's a good thing your breath would smell bad. But he said, and now and then they said, and now our soul is dried away. How did you get from how did you get from a lack of cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic to our soul is dried away. But see this, they say there is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. And the manna was, as it says, coriander seed, the color of it. Anyway, so, but this is a miraculous food that they had, but they despise it and they began to dream about, have you ever, have you ever said, oh, you know, I just, oh, if I could just have this one food to eat and you build it up to such an extent in your, in your mind and that you're thinking to yourself that, you know, oh, it's gonna be great. And actually, when you do have it, it is great. But the second time, it's not so great, right? Because you kind of overbuilt it in your mind, and that's what they were doing there. Okay, so they begin to dream of all these things, the fish and so forth. And they said, as they thought about all those food, that their souls were drying away. And it made God really mad. It made him angry when they were doing this complaining. And the first rule in life is don't make God mad. <laughs> That's the first rule in life. The second rule of life is similar to it, make God happy. If you got those two under control, you're really doing great. But they made God mad. They made him angry. And so it says in verse six, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and much of the people of Israel died. It says clearly there, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. Now, in that part of the desert, there are poisonous snakes, and some of them have this red, uh, red coloration on the top of their heads, and you could say, as you look at them, oh, looks like a fiery serpent. So in one sense, you could say, well, it's not unusual to see snakes like that. That's where they are. And as a matter of fact, some might have said, well, these snakes aren't from God, just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and God had nothing to do with it. But it was a judgment from God. But if a person wanted to say that God had nothing to do with it, they can say that. They can say that and they could have a basis for it. It wasn't true, but they could say it. Kind of like believing in evolution. Sort of like believing in evolution. It's so obvious that God has created everything, but people can't see God. So if they wanna believe, as the scientists say, God had nothing to do with the matter and life, they can say that. It's not true, they can say that but the reality of verse six is the Lord sent fiery serpents and that's the way it is today. Some natural, so-called natural tragedies, they happen and people refuse to see God's hand in it. They said God had nothing to do with it. Well, they can say that, but it's not true. This was a judgment from God and what can be seen in this judgment was that it was fast. It was with no warning. You know, there was nothing like, you know, if you don't stop that complaining and you don't stop that murmuring, you know, God's gonna do something really terrible to you. Moses didn't say that. There was no warning and Moses didn't tell the people, look, you're walking on dangerous ground because this judgment fell swift and it fell strong. And this is like a person who was told over and over again the gospel that if he dies in his sin, there's, it's gonna be terrible. And the Bible says in Proverbs 29:1, Proverbs 29:1, "He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy." Proverbs 1 starts off. Proverbs: 123 says, "There's a plea in Proverbs: 123. "Turn you." at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. I don't know the Bible. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Then it goes on, Proverbs one twenty four. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but you have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I will also laugh when your calamity cometh. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, your destruction cometh as whirlwind. When distrust and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. Ooh. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Oh, this is terrible. You know, I've, we've been talking about a little bit here about the child evangelism booth at Delmar Fair and what I do when I'm not... Uh, presenting the gospel to the kids I go outside I call out to the passersby hey how about coming in for a bible story and most often people you know ignore and they pretend they don't hear me or or they grab the kids hands with a come over here give me your hand you know <laughs> don't go don't go over to that man or the best one is when people say no we're good we're good <laughs> the bible says you're not good <laughs> it's, but It's just like Proverbs 124, because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. Called and stretched out my hand. And if a person hardens their heart to the calls of God when he speaks to them, it's not a matter of if fear comes. It's not a matter of if desolation comes. It's only a matter of when. As it says in Proverbs 126, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh, when. When your fear cometh as desolation, your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. So what we see here with this judgment of the fiery serpents, this was the when, and it was a swift stroke of judgment. And in this case, it was so obvious to the people, this was a judgment from God, they knew it. And the consequence was, in verse six, much people of Israel died. So what did the people do, what did they do? Verse seven, therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, we have spoken against the Lord against thee, immediately the people go to Moses. Moses, the man that God had sent to them, and they didn't come with a complaint this time about not having enough bread or water, not having any bread or water, they didn't complain that God had brought them out there, that God was unjust to send these fiery serpents Their first words were, we have sinned. And that was a start. That's the only start with God. That was their start with God. That was their start to receiving the remedy for the consequences of their sin. And that's a start for anyone who wants help with God. He's got to confess he's a sinner before God. He's got to tell God, I'm a sinner. God's got to hear these words, I have sinned before there's any help. If a man has to face God and say those words, I have sinned, before he can be helped by the Lord Jesus Christ in dying for his sins. A man has to become conscious. His guilt, is, his guilt has gotta come right in front of him. He's gotta perceive his guilt, his guilt. I have sinned, not the guilt of others. You know, this week at the, at the CEF Fair, at the CEF booth at Del Mar Fair, same thing happened like last week with a child. It was a little different this time. In the front row, Sits three kids, a little girl on the left, a boy in the middle, a little girl on the right. And I started with the little girl on the right. And I asked her, have you ever told a lie? Very, have you ever told a lie? She didn't say a word. She didn't say a word. She sat there, and with her hand, she quietly reaches over the boy to the other girl, and she points it at her. <laughs> like, you looking for a liar? <laughs> It's her, you know, and she. No one saw it. She was just like that, you know. <laughs> it was all as if to say, "Not me." She lied, you know. That's a non-starter with God. That's a non-starter with, because God is waiting to hear that one statement from each person: "I have sinned." As Ezra told the people, they had to do that when those people had married, intermarried with the groups that hated God. Ezra said to them, Ezra ten eleven, Ezra ten eleven. That Now, therefore, make confession unto the Lord God, make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers and do his pleasure and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. And when that little girl pointed to that little girl, you know, just like she was just like the Pharisee who came to the temple to pray and saw the sinful tax collector and you could almost see the Pharisee pointing at the sinful tax collector. As he says in Luke eighteen eleven. Luke 18, 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. And it was like that little girl saying, I thank thee that I am not a liar, even as she is. Okay? That's a non-starter with God. That goes nowhere. Because when the people said we have sinned, They were not saying they were good sinners. They were not not saying we're, we're not so bad sinners. They were saying we're dirty, rotten sinners. We're dirty, rotten sinners. That's a starting point with God. That's where God says, okay, I heard you say it. You're a dirty, rotten sinner. When God hears that, then God says, all right now, let's get to work. Let's get this sinner saved from his sins and let's get him transformed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But until God hears a person say that, I'm a sinner, then God says, okay, I'm waiting. And then when he hears it, he says, oh, that's what I've been waiting to hear. And when they came to confess their sin, it was not just a hollow, we're sorry. You know, it was, it was not just a sorry or apologize. You know, the question is, sorry for what? It was not just an indefinite, sorry about that. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. It was sorry specifically for what? And being specific in the confession is what is what the people are doing here in verse seven when it says, therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. That was specific. They confessed their specific sin that they had complained and they accused God of trying to kill them in the desert when they said, we have spoken against the Lord. It's so important to confess to God the sins. That's why at the CEF booth, I always ask the kids if they've ever lied. And then when I transition into praying to praying the sinner's prayer with the kids. I tell them, I said, now you all told me that you lied. I heard you say it. You, I, you, all of you told me that you lied. Now it's time to turn, tell God. Now it's time to tell God. Not just me, you gotta tell God. He needs to hear you say, I have lied. I am a sinner before he can save you. And the people not only confessed that they had sinned against God, but they also extended their confession to include Moses when they said, We have sinned, we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Sometimes it's easier to confess sins to God that you can't see than it is to confess a sin to another person. And that shows a real genuineness when a person goes to another person and says, I've wronged you. I've wronged you when I did this to you. I'm asking for your forgiveness for this. And this is what we're told to do in James 5.16. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, when the people came to be baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan, they didn't just appear there and say, oh, I wanna be baptized. You know, that's not what happened. It says in Matthew 3, 5, Matthew 3, 5, they went out, then went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea and all the region round about and were baptized of him in Jordan confessing their sins. As they were baptized, they were confessing their sins. You can just picture it, they're going, that's an amazing scene. People lined up there, without doubt, in tears, telling everyone around them, and John the Baptist, you know, exactly what the sins were that made them dirty, rotten sinners. I have stolen, I have lied, I gave false witness, I hated. They were just profusely confessing. And then they were baptized. As a statement that they were finished with that old life of sin, they were uh, uh, they were finished with that life of running away from God, and now as they get baptized, now they're running to God, and they look forward to a new life of walking with God. That's why when we built the the the, the baptism pool in in the Takadi auditorium there, I thought there's going to be because Takadi a lot of sin. I thought there's going to be great groups of people coming for baptism. I was, anyway, I was not correct. But, so I, I had them build 28 changing rooms and a pool, a baptism pool, large enough for 10 people so that five people could be baptized at a time. Well, I hope it does get that way, but so far it's not, but that's it, we're ready if it does. And the baptism pond there, pool there, is so elevated that when a person comes out He's in view of all the auditorium, all 2,000 seats. Everybody can see him, they're standing there. A microphone hangs down from the ceiling so that he can confess his sins before being baptized. But the people here confess their sins against God and against Moses in verse seven because they knew when they dishonored Moses, they dishonored God. And the same is true of the Lord Jesus Christ. When a person dishonors the Lord Jesus Christ by using his name in vain, like a swearing, then he's dishonoring God, as the Lord Jesus said in John 5 23, John 5 23, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. And then in John fifteen twenty-three, John fifteen twenty-three, he that hateth me hateth my father also. We heard Eric talk about Walter, the Jewish man from Pennsylvania, from Pittsburgh from Pittsburgh, and he was contacted, as he said, in the Summer Blitz of 2013, and he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's neglected to read the Bible, to go to church, and then over time, he's, he's worried about losing his salvation, he's gotten depressed, he had a lot of questions. We sent him the Friendship with God Bible and lots of materials, he struggled for 10 months, and then he calls, and what does he do when he calls? He profusely apologizes apologizes for not calling us back, and he's so thankful. Now he's studying and reading the Bible, and he's witnessing, as he said, to his Jewish community and wearing the shirt, Jesus loves you. He's on fire for the Lord, but he felt compelled to call and apologize and confess for neglecting what we had sent him and not obeying the Lord. The people of Israel here felt compelled to confess their sin about speaking against God, against Moses. Now in verse seven, it's interesting when it says, the people came to Moses. I mean, the people had before uh, wanted to stone Moses. So if Moses was a person who was easily offended, that would not be a good idea for them to go to Moses now. But even though the people had offended Moses, they still felt confident that Moses would forgive them because that was the kind of person Moses was. You know, it says in the Bible, they that love thy law, great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And that was Moses. And Moses was a meek man, therefore he was a forgiving man. Because proud people don't forgive others. But Moses was, as it says in Numbers 12.3, Numbers 12.3, the man Moses was very meek above all men which are upon the face of the earth.
0: Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at TomCantor at o-r-g Tom Cantor at o-r-g Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at eight hundred two four seven three zero five one. 247 3051
1: What are you doing Sunday nights? This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.